standing over the feed. Or door the box of Don't do this. Oh, come on, or come on, or, Randy. Don't or, do this, Mike. Don't do this, Randy. This is an atrocity. Or do not do this. Randy, no. Randy. No. Somebody, no. somebody get out there and stop him. Randy, just change your mind, or Randy. Don't, do something else. Do it out, Orton. No. Don't do you it. Cannot do this. Don't do this, Randy. No, Live, everybody, welcome to the WWE TLC 2020 post show. What's going on, John? What is going on? I am excited to talk about this show with you. Way, if ever there was a month that we got off, the, that we mistimed, it was which pay per view WH Park was going to review. Well, um, I'm sure we can still get his thoughts. Um, I I I have to just really picture how he would be watching this show. Well, we'll get into all of it. We are going to be going through the entire TLC pay-per-view tonight. A uh well, very a very interesting show. A very interesting show for I would say uh 2 hours and 40 minutes and then 20 minutes followed it. We'll try and make sense of all of that. How are you tonight? I'm doing okay, John. Yeah. It was um I don't know how I really feel at the end of it all, but uh, it was uh, definitely a different type of experience. Definitely an interesting experience is what I can Murder? Murder is an interesting experience. Yes. I would call it interesting, yeah. At the bare minimum, attempted murder? I don't know. I, I wonder if, thankfully, I think Randy Orton, maybe he will get some advice from Larry D in Impact, and he'll know that, hey... I can get out of any murder rap by winning a future pro wrestling match. Well, I don't really think this this constitutes murder because the rules of the match that they both signed on for, I mean, essentially is a murder match. Person must be lit on fire in order to lose. So I don't think uh, Randy will be legally charged with anything. You definitely have to get this was one that required this one should have had a contract signing. We really should have known what were the fi- what was the fine print in this inferno match? Is it just simply uh, light a a body part on fire? Is it just uh, is gasoline? Uh, you know that's that is a is that an illegal advantage that is going to promote the flames to that much? I, like it's it's a cheating mechanism using gasoline. You know, in an inferno match, like the flames are provided, the gasoline is that on the up and up. Well, here's the thing: we didn't even know this this was going to be an inferno match until after Monday. That's right. That's right. Because Bray died six days ago and then came back for this one. But you know, he's for, having you, he's having a rough December. Um. Yeah. Well, 2020 has been rough for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, this was interesting for a gimmick that I think, you know, they obviously uh, clearly ended the show on. And I think the the one thing will probably come out of the show talking about the most. It was not, you know, decided or at least promoted at the end of the go home show on Monday. No, they didn't announce the Inferno match till afterwards. And yeah, went ahead. I guess I guess there was no following this tonight. Very tough. There was no way Samoa Joe was going to be able to transition after this. 
Well, just by the visual aspect of it, I don't know how you can um, continue the show with all that gasoline and, you know, burnt <laughs> flesh everywhere. Yeah, that would be tough. I don't know if like a Royal Rumble spot in between could get people's minds off of what they had just seen. And well, folks, <laughs> show must go on. And <laughs> Kevin Owens is going to try and do this one in honor of Bray Wyatt. No, it's hard to compete with fire. And um, because you know. the last thing you would want is something unrealistic. Like you can't just go with a wrestling match after that. Like this is this is serious business here. You close the show with the man lit on fire. Uh, as is tradition. Well, uh, lots lots to tackle here uh, going into uh, Sunday's show. And afterwards, we'll be opening up the phone lines if anyone wants to uh, chime in, share their thoughts on, on TLC or the, uh, the week ahead. We've got Raw on Monday night and then SmackDown on Friday, which we talked about the fact that AEW is getting that uh, uh, the NBA lead in on Wednesday. There is a Saints-Vikings game Friday at 4.30 on Fox, which the way it times out will likely result in SmackDown getting a significant lead-in on Christmas Day. And based on the announcement tonight, uh, I think it's safe to say this is not going to be a throwaway show on Friday, and nor should it, given the fact they will have a lot of eyes on them. Uh, they are taping this on Tuesday, so uh, and going ahead with the Sami Zayn-Big E Intercontinental title match. Yeah, significant main event, I would say, or at least by SmackDown standards, something that's been built to for several weeks. Maybe we could expect the title change even. Possibly. Well, the kickoff show featured Charlie Caruso, Booker T, Peter Rosenberg, and Jeff Jarrett. I got through this pre-show up until the match in about uh, three minutes. Not much to this entire pre-show at all, honestly. All these uh, segments prior to the match itself were pretty meaningless and just kind of filler an mvp promo Miz and morrison came by the desk to tease the cash in and r-truth did his monthly appearance with the panel trying to speak japanese pretty much it yep late in the day they added an eight-man tag just an assortment of guys from the smackdown roster for the kickoff show we had Sami Zayn. King Corbin, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cesaro against Daniel Bryan, Big E, Chad Gable, and Otis. Uh, quite a lot of talent condensed to this throwaway eight-man tag on the show, although I will say there was a purpose with the finish of this match. I think you want to feature some of these guys, too, because they you know, didn't really have much of a chance um, to have matches on their own for the rest of this show, so... Why not just throw them in there? And in the case of both uh, Biggie and Zane and also Gable and Otis, I would say, you know, reasons for them to be there for storyline purpose. Uh, the heel side, they took turns working over Daniel Bryan with everyone tagging in with him. Uh, Bryan eventually stopped Corbin's attack with a headbutt off the turnbuckle, made the tag to Otis. Otis hit Nakamura with the caterpillar, but then Gable wanted the tag and he made it. Nakamura then stopped their double-team attempt and nearly pinned Gable until Otis saved. And then we saw Gable hit Cesaro with the Chaos Project, uh, the Chaos Theory. And Zayn then demanded the tag. Zayn took the prone Gable, who rolled away, tagging in Big E, who stopped the Haluva kick with the Uranagi, followed up by the big ending. So Big E pins the Intercontinental Champion. That logically leads to Friday's title match. Eight minutes, 45 seconds. Yeah, they also played a clip of Sami Zayn's leaked audio from his uh, Tom Cruise I thought, parody. I thought this was pretty funny. It was great. Yelling very up. Very timely and, yes, very clever for 
this Sami Zayn character that it works perfectly for. I, th- I thought it was like a really uh, funny idea when I, I first read about it. It was awesome. Yelling at the stage hand who allowed Biggie to to switch that uh the envelope at the Sammy Awards. Uh sadly the suit was gone, but the hairstyle is still somewhat there. I thought it was a fun little opening match. It kind of felt like an opening New Japan eight man tag with, you know, basically a lot of little stories told between some of the participants there. Totally suitable for a kickoff, I thought. Yeah, I would love to see Chad Gable in a New Japan eight man tag. Yeah, sure. Or um, Otis. Um, Otis, uh, maybe. But uh, Chad Gable, I mean, he did get about 30 seconds in here with Cesaro, which was fun. He did, yes. On to the main show we go. Oh, they. I- I'm going to say this, okay? This might, might be the only positive thing I say about this program uh, tonight. But they did do a video package for Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton called The Firefly Carol. And say whatever you want about how ridiculous this program is. This video was great. It was spliced with uh, Silent Night. Uh, this is just like a, a really tremendously done video, I thought. It was well done, yeah, as all the videos are. But this one in particular, I think, um, yeah, a bit more creative. This one stood out. A nice theme used like a Silent Night in this. Like it was like a really like even by WWE standards, like this one stood out. You know, I really would have. I think this would have been great on Raw. Uh, it tells me like maybe there was just a level of foresight that might have been missing with like some of the last minute additions to this particular feud. But uh, yeah, it was one of the better ones. Just Wednesday, someone wakes up. You know what? We're going to barbecue this guy on Sunday. Okay. Um, how do we get there? Torch him. Sure. We'll send out a tweet. So that ends the kickoff, and on to the show we go. As expected, they were going to start off the show with one TLC match, but they would not be bookending the show because there was only one thing that was going to close the show. Opening it up is Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles for the Universal Championship. And this was kind of strange. At the beginning, it is Drew dominating AJ, showing no ill effects of that beatdown that closed Raw on Monday night. And he's warning almost. He hints at the Claymore. It is five minutes of destruction by the champion until he starts climbing the ladder and AJ uses a chair on the left leg. And thus, Drew now starts selling the injury that they had started on Monday. So they had like very good chemistry between these two. AJ just bumped all over the place uh, for this. Uh, Drew stopped a Styles Clash at one point, hitting the Future Shock, and would continually go back to the left knee. And while we were going to get more of the kind of uh, stunt show in the next TLC match with like your big kind of uh, jaw-dropping spots, this was more methodical use of the weapons by AJ, like wrapping the knee through the ladder, through the chair, uh, into the calf crusher, and just coming up with unique ways to use the weapons that are kind of just these objects to just happen to be in the ring as they're having this match, whereas the it was much more the focus of the other TLC match would be the violence of it all. Um, there was a phenomenal forearm off a table that Drew caught and sent him with a belly-to-belly, and later in the match, The Miz runs down, and he stops Drew, who's on the ladder, and Morrison is distracting with the briefcase. Drew gets sent through a table, and The Miz cashes in his briefcase, making this a triple threat match. He goes to climb the ladder. He's going slow as can be, thinking he's got this in the bag. But almost 
only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades because in walks the big man who grabs Miz, dumps him through a table on the floor, and then <laughs> in a spot that was like right out of the late Zeus, J- John Morrison slams a chair to the back of almost. Not only does this dude not sell the chair shot, the chair breaks over this guy's back and he just like walks down Morrison who comedically backpedals like he's auditioning for your high school horror film to the back and they're gone. Drew and AJ climb. Miz sets up a ladder. Drew knocks both down. AJ does a springboard back onto the ladder, knocking Drew down. Miz fights AJ on the ladder as Drew returns, tipping both men over. AJ is dumped to the floor. A claymore is hit to Miz, and Drew climbs up, grabbing the title in 27 minutes. I enjoyed the match overall. Honestly, though, maybe a little too slow for my taste until we had the Miz come in to cash in to make things a bit more interesting and urgent. Um, it was certainly not a TLC with nonstop spots, as you mentioned. You know, that was more so the main, the semi-main event. But I thought they told a really good story with Drew's knee injury throughout it. Uh, I like the creative use of a lot of the weapons here as a part of submission matches. But to me, it was the last two to three minutes that were what really made this match stand out uh when all three of them were fighting up top on top of the ladders the the great sense of urgency and just the constant this guy falls off the ladder so you do, you think he's out of it but then here's aj springboarding back in you know as drew falls out and then it's him and miz it's just like the constant back and forth making you actually think that drew might have actually had a chance to lose i thought was done really well and then the finish of Drew actually climbing up the ladder on one knee, I thought was really smart and really well done as well. So a really good finish. Um, overall, like not not a great TLC in my opinion, but I mean, I can understand why it had to be different from the other one. I think it depends what you want out of these TLC matches. If you're looking for all like a lot of what you got in the later one, um, this one was differentiated from that. I I liked it. To me, it even at 27 minutes, uh, that wasn't it. Didn't drag. I thought AJ was fantastic in this match. Um, Miz really didn't do a whole lot for me. I guess like I, I didn't sense like any believability that this guy was stealing the title. Um, but you at least, I mean, you cashed it in so unless he's going to do some ploy to get this briefcase back through some whatever means uh it just feels like this was they really had no idea of what to do with this briefcase and got nothing out of it in my opinion this year no not this year they didn't have somebody clear uh from the get-go i think whatever they had planned with otis obviously didn't really come to fruition once they realized that hey we might actually have to put the belt on this guy and rather than move it to somebody else who could use it I think they probably just ha- want to keep the belts on Roman and Drew as the champions this year. And there's really no one to even threaten that they want to have fail other than somebody who can kind of afford a failure like that, like the Miz. So we probably just have to look towards, you know, the next cycle of uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-views. What, what is that? Which is what? April? That they do it in? May. May, April, May. It was May last year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, might as well use the gimmick up for to to accentuate a match like this with a surprise finish and um, wait till then. I can't remember who it was that suggested it. It might have been Nate. The idea way back at Money in the Bank of having Big E win the briefcase and you have the idea of is he going to cash it in when he's still connected to the New Day? 
and having that briefcase and just kind of keeping it like, what's Biggie going to do with this briefcase? That could be your reason for the breakup at the draft is that one show wants Big E, but not the others. They want the briefcase and the attention that that brings to their show every week. And that you'd see this slow development of Big E from tag wrestler that thinks New Day number is the number one priority to suddenly he be- goes down the singles path and he's got the ultimate key throughout this whole maturation process as a singles performer. And you could throw out any idea. It's better than what happened here with the Miz. And I think it would be better than what they ultimately did with the, with Big E. I, I don't know if there was any level of foresight, you know, attached to a singles run up until that point. Like that would have been his, like that would have been our reason for the draft for, to, for one of them to pick Big E, but not the others. And it forces Big E to be at this crossroads. And now he's got this briefcase and it's time, like time is ticking down and you've got to do something with it. And it, it could have culminated in in something. Um, uh, just the the briefcase. It's like some. It's a concept that works, and it's something people take seriously. And this year, it just felt like it was a throwaway with no solid idea behind it, from Otis to the Miz. So that was the only disappointing yeah. part here. But I, I like this match. I thought I thought it was a really good start to the show, and Drew retains. Paul Heyman was interviewed by Caleb Braxton. He says he enjoys NASCAR for the car crashes, but he doesn't need NASCAR tonight because people are going to get hurt in the TLC match, and Owens will get hurt. Reigns will retain. That's not a prediction. That's a spoiler. Mm -hmm. He was right. Man didn't lie. Sasha Banks and Carmella for the SmackDown Women's Championship, and we've got the returning uh, sommelier who is no longer Tommy, He's now Reginald. Yeah, wow. Changing the names of the sommeliers even. Yes. This didn't require its own story on our website, but this was huge news. Reginald. For this for this moment forward. Reginald caught Carmella on the floor early on, and then Banks was sent into the steps. Um, where this match got going was... Um, Carmella countered out of a tilt-a-whirl and hit this big X-factor, driving Banks head into the mat. And then after hitting a super kick, uh, Banks was uh, draped on the apron, and Banks just grabbed onto the bottom rope, and they were starting to get into covers. Carmella kicked out of a jackknife cover into the Code of Silence. That was countered with the bank statement, and Carmella got out of that with a Koji clutch with the arms hyperextended like the rings of Saturn that Banks was able to get out of. So doing a lot of submission transitions here, Banks got the bank statement applied when Reginald pulled Carmella out of the ring. The referee saw none of this. Banks then hit him with a Meteora, but Carmella was there to hit a super kick that led to another big near fall. She went for one more X factor, which got countered to the bank statement and Carmella tapped out at 12 minutes and 42 seconds. I thought this match was great. Far exceeded my expectations. You know, I thought there were a lot of very ambitious near fall sequences that I think all clicked for me. Some really well executed counters as well. The last half of this match I thought was really fast and exciting. Um, among the best, if not the best, Carmela Carmela match I might have I might be you know thinking about. Like I I it's hard for me to recall a singles Carmela match that I might have enjoyed as much as this. She so. she's had like the odd performance where it's like there there is like like. She has this in her, and that's why I said on Friday, like I would not, I was not going to be surprised if this one over delivered for people. Um, I, I thought it was a very good match. I, w- I wouldn't go to to the level of like great, 
But I thought it was very good, and I think this was certainly among Carmella's best matches. And yeah, I I, I thought that they they laid out a really uh, really intricate match with all the all the submissions, and they, they showcased a lot in, in this one. I thought it was uh, de- definitely over delivered for most. I liked it more than AJ versus Drew. Okay, well, I wouldn't go that far, but it was it was good. I liked the match. So. Charlie interviewed the New Day as they are preparing in the back. And tonight, you're going to see Big Match New Day. So Big Match New Day took on Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. They noted that Shelton Benjamin has not held a tag title here in WWE in 17 years. Why don't they just call this guy uh, Grandpa? Like, this this just really ages the man. Who doesn't look at 17 years since he won a tag title. Okay. I mean, it's so, not that crazy of a stat, you know? He's won other belts since that time, and he wasn't in the company for, like, 10, 10 of those years. How many people on that 2003 roster are on today's roster? Probably, like, two or three. It was just constant offense from the New Day, as they're going for constant covers on the on the Hurt business. Benjamin caught Woods, drilled him into the bottom turnbuckle, and eventually Kingston got the tag... The boom drop was stopped in midair when Benjamin caught him. And Kingston had this great sequence where he went almost for like a, a victory roll for Shelton Benjamin. Very uh, Steiner Brothers, uh, Head Shrinkers, uh, a similarity here. And Alexander just leaped off the top, missing the target when Kingston rolled through. Alexander then hit this big flying knee and a brain buster on Kingston that Woods broke up. And then Woods got hit with the neuralizer and pay dirt. Benjamin then just more he went back 17 years to Kurt Angle in 2003 he scaled to the top he's doing like the crazy jumping up and down that Kurt would do when he was sizing him up for the angle slam and then suplexes Kingston off and Alexander blind tags in as Benjamin's getting ready here for this ending sequence and Alexander just hits the lumbar check pinning Kofi and steals all the glory but they win the tag titles in nine minutes and 53 seconds. So Benjamin begrudgingly uh, accepts this win, even though he was on the verge of winning it for the team. Really good sprint from the, from this, uh, both of these teams, you know, really fast paced from the start, everything looking really good from these four. I'm glad it resulted in a good match. And I like the hurt business here at the end, holding three championships, actually four championships. If you include MVPs, IBJJF world masters, um, (laughs) medal that he held up in this photo that they all tweeted out so love to see the ibjjf get some uh love here on the Can't l- discount that i mean on the equal status with the w- wwe championships um but i hope these two teams never ever wrestle one another again oh this wait has- wait this outcome ensures that uh, that exact thing is going to happen abandon another abandon run of ship abandon ship because i'm so sick of this feud this was a great match and i expected this to be a great match but my interest going into it was completely negative you even had woods here at the beginning here kind of justify i think like they're well aware of how abused this feud has been where woods was like yeah we faced these guys before many times but now you're facing big match new day so it's going to be different (laughs) granted my interest level though was not a big match level of interest so uh i'd hope to keep these teams far far away from one another in a vacuum like it's a the byproduct of all these matches that they've done to death is that their chemistry's on point like they've got this match down but you're right it's just 
it's Groundhog Day with this program, and it's not a deep tag division on either show. So we're just going to get that's no profits against Ziggler and Rude, and these four. It's just going to be constant, like repeats. Oh God! If there's not enough teams to to have more than one match, then don't have a fucking division. Don't have a tag team championship. One set of titles. I'm all for it. They do it with the women. Why can't we do it with the men? There's not, there's, they don't have two tag divisions. They have at best one. You can make a, like you have plenty of guys. You have plenty of guys that you can put together. Like that's what they do for the women. Just create makeshift tag teams. There are plenty of people on that roster not doing anything that you could create a fresh set of matchups for. Uh, Please no more of this. Does it happen on Raw tomorrow night? Maybe one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then they ran an ad for the Royal Rumble Sunday, January 31st. So we've got quite a bit of a stretch before the Royal Rumble. And and they're they're avoiding running uh, the prior weekend, which is the the Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier fight, which I don't know if that's that's a big deal now in the, the network era. But I think having a week apart is probably a good thing. For the news cycle, perhaps. Yeah, but I mean. There, you know, it would be Saturday versus Sunday. So I don't know how much that would collide. I'm looking completely selfishly at what that weekend would have been for me if it was uh, both of those. So I like the fact that we are separating those by a week. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler come out for the women's tag title match. And Asuka is out and her partner is Charlotte Flair, uh, which was reported earlier in the day by Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. And... You know, we talked about this on Friday. I I was not crazy about th- this being the return for Charlotte Flair unadvertised in this role, but I'm going to say like she she was great in this match and this match was infinitely better because of her involvement. So, I can only complain so much, but I just thought her return should have been a a much bigger deal than just unannounced shows up and and boom, she's back. Hmm. I don't know how much of a difference maker like Charlotte would make to, you know, a raw rating or anything like that. So I don't I don't have as much of an issue from that standpoint. I do have an issue with maybe the way the story is kind of playing out. You spend an entire month building up this Lana Naya thing. I don't exactly know what's going on with Lana. Maybe maybe they're, you know, they have a justifiable reason for to to take her out, but if you look at this whole thing as a story as a whole, and maybe this isn't the end yet, maybe Lana will still continue to get involved somehow afterwards, but just judging by, you know, tonight, if this was the culmination of the story, it certainly uh, feels disjointed. What was also disjointed is that they're all talking about Charlotte's been gone for all this time. I believe there was even a point where she did point at Naya, but the announcers never explained that it was Naya that injured her back in June. Like, she was the storyline reason of she was the one that attacked Charlotte to take her out. And that was, like, never brought up here. Like, why is she here if we're not going to explain the story? Like, it was, if you were just watching this and don't remember that, and I imagine there were people that don't remember that angle from six months ago. I don't remember. I didn't remember it until you brought it up. That was the whole reason she was, like, taken out. She did the match with Asuka, and then backstage, Asuka destroyed her shoulder, which was injured in the match. And that's her whole reason for being in this match, like, storyline-wise, is to gain revenge on Nia. And... It was never brought up. So it just because it's like if you're not remembering that and the announcers are not putting any kind of a focus on it, it's that much more random why Charlotte's even here. So story wise, I just thought that 
I mean, you did this whole angle. Like, this is the payoff to it is explaining, you know, she's going for revenge here. Maybe she'll announce it in retrospect. Well, we'll see. Um, Oscar and Baszler did a brief grappling uh, display at the beginning, and then Flair was tagged in. Flair looks just like in fantastic shape, and I mean, zero rust, I thought, during this match. I thought she looked great. Agreed. Asuka had, uh, ran her shoulder into the post, and then Baszler stomped the elbow, so they got the heat on her for a while, attacking the arm. Uh, essential personnel, Ric Flair, was watching backstage. And then Flair climbed to the top, did a moonsault to Jax and Baszler on the floor. And then there was a Samoan drop after Asuka did a blind tag, and she hit Nia with a missile drop kick. Baszler goes for the Kirafuda clutch. Flair tags in, boots Jax off the apron, and then kicks out of a cradle, gets the figure eight applied. Nia breaks it up, saving her partner. Asuka takes out Jax with a hip attack to the floor, and then Flair rolls through on the Kirafuda clutch attempt, Gets on top for a two and then hits the natural selection. They win the tag titles in 10 minutes. I thought this was a great match. You know, Charlotte looked excellent, very aggressive, very precise, really strong in-ring presence. I really didn't realize how much she's been missed, at least from an in-ring standpoint. I think she'll really take the quality of the in-ring product on Raw, at least in the women's division, up that much higher. She looked great. Um, if you could just find some teams, like granted, they'll do probably ad nauseum rematches here and you have some others but i like oscar and flair if they held the titles for even like two months they could have some great matches that really do put these tag titles in, in a bit of a spotlight role it's just it's the same never-ending story of this division it's just the the lack of teams that they have and it just becomes well we'll find challengers and then we'll do every combination conceivable but oscar and flair doing tag matches like they could they could have like a nice little run with these tag belts I suppose so. I mean, I just, I kind of wish that the tag belts were on an actual tag team rather than, you know, these makeshift tag teams continuing to be put together. And I understand why, because you don't have any other teams, but you have, at least on the SmackDown side of things, you have the Riot Squad that's ready for it. I don't know how they're going to kind of figure into this with Asuka and Charlotte being a babyface pair of tag team champions. The reason why they broke up the Iconics, I still have zero clue, especially when you're in need of tag teams right now. And not to mention, Asuka is still the Raw Women's Champion. You have that belt not being used when she's holding Which, two concurrent I mean, belts. I mean, this should be, like, ultimately, that's where these two, I mean, you have that's them as That's fine, team. John, but I'm just sick of the tag titles being used as a device to get to your singles match, as they've done the entire year. As they've done, really, for the entire existence of these tag team titles. Well, um... I mean, what was your alternative? Beating Charlotte here in this match? No, not to not to have Asuka and Charlotte be the ones to even face Nia and Shayna. Well, again, that goes to like, I, I wouldn't have brought Charlotte back like this. I think that it's, you know, whatever their plan is. Um, I don't know. Lana, Lana's just kind of in nowhere's no man's land at this point, but we'll see what they do tomorrow. Um, and Lana had like no presence on the show at all. It was barely even mentioned. Biggie and R Truth are in the back, and Sami Zayn accuses them of leaking the audio after the Sammy Awards. Truth said that your lips don't touch when you say the word touch, but they do when you say separate. Zayn informed Biggie that he's been treading water ever since he went solo, and Biggie said that he's gonna see Zayn really soon. 
and really soon means Tuesday's tapings. Yes, SmackDown is taped this week. Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens, TLC match for the Universal Championship. This was everyone's realization that the Inferno is going to be last. Roman Reigns comes out first, and he's watching his own ascension ceremony when Kevin Owens jumps him and started this off at a pretty fast pace, destroying Reigns with a cannonball in the ring and another on the floor. And then we got into Kevin Owens, who had to essentially just play the outnumbered underdog. Jay Uso constantly got involved in this match, and it was Kevin Owens, essentially, that who kept repeating that you're going to have to kill me to, to win this match. And I thought Owens played like a fantastic baby face in this. Like you were legitimately rooting for this guy to overcome. And it was like, how far can we tease people that Owens might actually pull this off? Um, even though the notion of Owens winning uh, was probably completely just thrown out the window by most go- going into this. But what did you think about the actual, like the, the story of this match and, was was there too much Jey Uso, or did it enhance it for you? It enhanced it. I thought it was really well told. I mean, it continued the story that they were telling on Friday with Owens being this guy who's able to withstand a great deal of punishment. As we said, the passion of Kevin Owens, you know, a uh, babyface who never gives up. And I would say in this match, they probably couldn't have done a better job of telling that never give up story for him. Like for all the stuff about like, this was a match that was laid out for Kevin Owens to look like the the ultimate babyface. Um mm-hmm. very like Mick Foley-esque. Like yep. can he actually pull it off and he was gonna go through ungodly punishment to try and win this championship. So at one point he gets rid of Jay, but his attention is diverted and he turns around into a drive-by, and this is where Reigns is able to take over and just uh Starts attacking Owens with the ladder. He dumped Owens a pair of times onto the ladder. One which was sideways, which just looked brutal for the guy to take. Uh, Jay would continue to pop up. Uh, this was after Owens eventually took out his ankle and snapped the ankle uh, with, with the chair around it. Owens uh, then was trying. He put Jay through the desk with a pop-up power bomb and buried him underneath then they fought on the ladder. Reigns goes to the eyes of Owens, and this is where Owens gets dumped onto the ladder back first. He also gets put through a table on the floor with a choke slam, and then another with a Samoan drop. Reigns is just laughing at this guy. Owens won't give up, though. He slaps Reigns, who spears him through a table in the floor. And then the big opening for Owens. He's on the floor. Reigns goes to spear him through the barricade, and Owens moves at the last second. So Reigns crashes through. Owens makes it to the ladder. He's climbing up, but again, Jay Uso returns, and Owens fights him off, hits him with a stunner, goes again to climb, and he's right there at the top when Reigns is alive, and he hits Owens with a low blow, applies the guillotine, putting Owens out, and he just uh, succumbs and falls to the floor, allowing Reigns to grab the belt at 24 minutes and 44 seconds. I thought, I thought everyone performed well, but the star of this match was Kevin Owens. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought I thought everybody did really well. But yes, a fantastic babyface performance from Owens. You know, he this was definitely his biggest opportunity since the pandemic started. And here he was given, you know, what we thought was a main. I think in reality, you can consider this a main event role because like the sure. Fiend Orton match was never promoted as such, I would say, leading up to this. 
Uh, this is a match type that Kevin Owens is perfectly suited for, and he absolutely did not disappoint. You know, whereas the first TLC match that we saw tonight was more of a match, regular match with some weapons involved. I thought this lived up to the intensity and the violence expected of a TLC match with Owens, you know, being one of those people who's willing to take a great deal of that punishment. Uh, another fantastic heel performance from Roman Reigns. I think this one for him relying a lot less on that in-ring acting we saw from his his previous matches with Jey Uso and instead relying a lot more on his physicality. Since this new character change, like, I've really enjoyed all of his matches. You know, I find them so much more captivating and enjoyable. And it just tells you how important character and story are to the entire package of a pro wrestler. He's always been a very good wrestler. But when you mix a hot character into this, the matches to me are just that much better. So I really enjoyed this match. So it, not surprisingly, the the Chronicle on Kevin Owens was really strong stuff. I, I thought it was one of my favorite versions of like any of their series they've done. And Owens was talking about the fact that, you know, he can see that, you know, Reigns is doing tremendous. He thinks he's matching him with his own performances and that he feels like they've got a lot left in this program beyond TLC. And, you know, watching this match, I felt like you 100% like this program, whether it was just designed to be a a four week thing from Survivor Series to TLC and then Reigns is on to the next thing. I, I thought like there is a lot in Kevin Owens as a babyface. Like you look at John Moxley and AEW, and I think a lot of the same qualities are there in Kevin Owens. Um, mm-hmm. But did you did you certainly the end of this? Like he's outnumbered. There's ways you could get back to something like this. Did you take this as this is probably the end of Kevin Owens in this role, or do you think that you could get something extra out of this this program with? With Kevin Owens, because I, I just thought he was so fantastic in this match, but I just don't know where you go next with him. I definitely think you could build to another match. I mean, you know, one of the unfortunate things about this was that this was a TLC match, which, you know, would have been great as a feud ending type of match with this level of brutality. But I think, you know, with the amount of TV shows that they have coming up leading, leading up to Rumble, um, there are certainly opportunities for you to have another big TV match ahead of it. Uh, completely agree with Kevin Owens that there's a lot more story to be told. I don't know if there's just like, maybe it's, maybe it's this Roman Reigns character that's just like created such a creative spark for so many other people of so many of his other opponents. But like you can tell long form stories with pretty much like any of the opponents that he's had so far with Jay Uso, somebody who is, I don't even know if they were really su- supposed to get one month out of him. They end up getting two. You could yep. even do that long term for even longer if you wanted to. And with Kevin Owens, it's the same situation. One month feels like it's too short for this level of storytelling uh, and, and a performer on the level of a Kevin Owens. So I would take this further. And then you look at up and down this like SmackDown roster. There's like plenty of guys to get multiple month stories out of Roman Reigns. You have a Rey Mysterio. You have a Daniel Bryan. So he's more than covered up until WrestleMania, but it just depends on like, you know, what their plans are for him at WrestleMania because heading into Rumble, heading into Mania, they probably have like other plans already set for, for Roman. But, you know, the opportunity for at least another TV match is certainly there for Kevin Owens. Yeah, I really hope that this is a significant breakthrough for Kevin Owens, who has kind of just been in that that utility role. He I thought he hit it out of the park in this program and the high point was tonight. I just thought he was tremendous in this match. So this you know, was this was my match of the show. It was my match of the show as well. You know, that Chronicle kind of hit on like far more of this family aspect 
to Kevin Owens that, you know, they've maybe briefly mentioned in the actual story, but they never really kind of like showed you as much as that Chronicle did. And that to me is like where you can really go with the storyline next, you know? Uh, those are the themes attached to this this whole program. It's like the idea of one guy proclaiming, proclaiming himself to be a leader and a family man, and another, another guy in Kevin Owens who, you know, is truly demonstrating that he is doing all this for his family. So there's a lot more that you can tell, and I would say they, they barely scratch the surface on TV. So that was the TLC pay-per-view. I've got to say, I thought, like, this is a thumbs-up show. Oh, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have more notes. <laughs> <laughs> they announced Zane and Big E for Friday on Christmas and the main event, the Firefly Inferno match between Randy Orton and the Fiend, Bray Wyatt. So the way they had set this up, uh, the announcers were repositioned. Uh, so they were not even visible on camera. They had just gone into the ether to call this one. And I mean, just seeing the way the match was laid out, this was very likely pre-taped. Well, uh, Randy might have made history tonight because I think this is the first time the man has competed in pants. Is that so? Wow. I cannot recall a time. He must have had a street fight or something with pants at some point. Dude, that guy, he's going to be buried in those trunks one day. (laughs) So Orton is out um, auditioning for Retribution in his pants and hoodie while The Fiend was in his jacket with his pants. So a lot of coverage here. And it's just starting out as a normal match. There's no flames anywhere. There's no fire. Very different from, you know, the the Inferno matches we've seen in the past where it's not just the, you know, pyrotechnics surrounding the apron, but the fire was actually, because this was in the Thunderdome without a real crowd, the flames and the pyro were actually outside beyond the barricade in the audience itself. Yes. Yes. We had vertical flames. We had horizontal displays. Uh, it took- I, I, I liked it. I mean, it allowed them to actually have a match rather than just like working within, you know, like this little tiny space, like in a in an old style Infernal match. And then you get to the fire stuff later on. It took the Fiend three times before he hit Sister Abigail. And this is where he summoned the flames as they appeared. Uh, the Fiend whipped Orton with a leather strap and then lit it on fire, but missed Orton. Then we introduced the gasoline and... If if I live to be a hundred, I will remember this moment and just always, always have a cackle. He pours gasoline on the rocking chair and then pours it down the mat leading away from the chair. Orton is seated in the chair and Wyatt proceeds to start his lighter and lights the flame that goes towards Orton, who at the last second has to dive off of the chair. One of my favorite moments <laughs> of this year in a wrestling contest. Was awesome. Was watching Randy dive off this chair. This was when I was like, this is silly as hell. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy this for the silliness as that it's going to provide. Yeah. Orton fought back with a chain, uh, nearly set the man on fire. Orton then hit a draping DDT to the floor. He attempted the RKO and was caught with the mandible claw. So while he's in the mandible claw, he turns Bray's back towards the flames, and Bray is on fire. And while he's on fire, he runs into the ring and into an RKO. 
This visual was incredible. Like we've seen plenty of RKO's. We've seen one uh, incredibly like beautifully executed physical gymnastic like RKO's. We've never seen Randy Orton RKO a man who was lit on fire, and now they've got that. So add this to your highlight reel. It was this was pretty great. You know what I'd be playing underneath that highlight video? What's that? Arcade fire. <laughs> Excellent. So Bray Bray might have already been dead from the RKO. This was a vicious RKO. He's just life. The match should be over by this point. He was lit on fire. It should have been over. There was no bell. So Orton, I guess, thinking I haven't done enough, poured gasoline over Bray Wyatt. And I will imagine that 95% of the people were just focused on the absurdity of what, what was happening here. Do yourself a favor. Watch the final three minutes, but don't, don't even watch it. Listen, listen to Samoa Joe because he was the best. (laughs) He was my favorite part of this atrocity. Just the concern. It was like no one smartened Joe up that this, this was a man dying and he was going to call it as though he was watching a snuff film and had to provide commentary for it. Randy lights the match. Joe's blow it out. Blow it out. Don't don't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Randy Randy teases that the light is gonna go out. But no. He drops it and Bray get the marshmallows out. He just goes up in flames. He was the third hour of Raw in visual form. Dead. And that was it. That was the end of TLC. Tables, ladders, chairs, and flames. I love this shit. I know this, you did. I this know match you was fucking this. crazy. And it was like, I've seen plenty of Inferno matches, and they're almost, almost always, always underwhelming. Like the ones I remember were like, yeah, it's kind of a neat visual having like wrestlers surround a ring, but because they can't wrestle without touching the fire it results in some bad wrestling and then when somebody does catch on fire it's like the fucking boot like oh kane's boot was lit on fire oh my god like like, that's all we got a man actually burnt on fire listen like this is not traditional wrestling at this point you're talking about more just kind of i don't know campy fun and that to me is exactly what I like about the fiend. Yeah, often it kind of gets off, uh, goes off the rails, and it's like it ceases to be maybe even enjoyable. But this was not one of those. This to me was like the fiend at his best, taking full advantage of this cinematic, you know, pre-taped thing, taking full advantage of the environment without a real crowd there, allowing them to play plenty of kind of camera tricks with fire. Um, and I, overall, it was just like an exciting interesting fun match that just made you have fun by the end well i um it was absurd that's 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 the best thing i i I can say about it i mean it's not uh i don't know i I feel this is this is a lot for me like the the rollins bray wyatt thing it's like you you can do anything you want with this bray wyatt character I i don't think it like turns people off i don't think it gets them invested it's just we can do anything we want with with this character. It still has to be within like taste, like well, it still has to be like 
entertaining by the end. That to me is the bare requirement. Okay. For me, like this match existed very much on the same level as like a Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, I match. Like that shit was completely crazy too. But by the end of it was like, this is fun. Like I saw a man get his eye taken out. I saw like, you know, like this kind of like jelly donut squirt out of like Rey Mysterio's eye. Like this was, I, I kind of enjoyed the WWE fully embracing just like, you know, horror movies, like, you know, like camp and, and injecting that into some other wrestling like this. Obviously, this is not real. Yeah, nobody is trying to, you know, trick you into thinking that this is real. But it was just no, like, no. Samoa Joe was absolutely tricking you to believe this was real. I suppose so, but there I mean, was no wink, wink at all. I, I, I can absolutely enjoy this the same way you know somebody might be able to enjoy like the Toxic Avenger or something. And I think there's room for it in pro wrestling, especially you know this sort of a pandemic era pro wrestling. I, I don't enjoy this stuff as much, but a serious question: Would this be better suited on Raw than a pay per view? No, because I think this would be a total like it would be a literal dumpster fire, but it would be Mm. absolutely something people would watch. But then, I mean, I think this was I think where they fumbled is not promoting this, Uh, you know, um, I don't know why. Like, I don't know. I don't know what really kind of went into the promotion of it, but I think the Inferno match itself, especially I think it's still an attraction. I think the Fiend being, you know, wrestling in a big match is still an attraction. And I think it's something you save for a pay-per-view. I mean, you can promote it on a on a TV match if you wanted to. But I think this was like, you know, a big enough thing that they should probably save for pay-per-view. So that was TLC. Um, I, I thought like a really good show up until uh, the final twenty minutes. Uh, I thought both I enjoyed both TLC match. Like really, there was not a uh, a, a bad match. Um, <laughs> if I, I don't think the Inferno really counts as a match, but the rest, um, I really a, enjoyed. It was a cinematic match, really. Sure. Uh, I really enjoyed Owens and Reigns. I thought that was my, my match of the show, and I would say uh, up till that point, I, I I I would go thumbs up on this show. I go thumbs up too. I mean, something you know that I think has been pretty apparent apparent to me this year is that if you're sick of the WWE, I recommend that you only watch the pay per views because they almost always are good. Like the matches, you can always rely on the talent to deliver. And when they have some that shit crazy ideas, I mean, at the very least, the hope is that you might be entertained. And I was thoroughly entertained by this show. So thumbs up show for me. When is a safe time that you can resurrect Bray Wyatt? Like how how long until you can bring him back? Well, he's never no no one no one knows whether or not he's actually alive or dead anyway, right? So he'll probably be back tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. TLC is in the bag, but we will be opening up the phone lines if anyone wants to share their thoughts, and we'll also be going to the forum uh, where people have left feedback, and we can go to the poll as well, way. I feel this one will do fairly well. I, I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict uh, between a six and a seven. That's that's my prediction. A five point six seven. Five point six seven. Okay, right below what you thought. So, uh, open up the phone lines right now. A lot of people want to get in on this. Let's go first to uh, Des. Des, welcome to the show. Please unmute yourself. What's going on? What's going on, guys? I never get to call in anymore. So I nice to hear from I, you. Yeah, I thought I'd call in one time before the end of the year and just uh, wish uh, all the 
my fellow postmarks a really happy holidays and uh hopefully a much better 2021 than a 2020 uh let's just <laughs> go with that thank you very much des i wanted to just kind of say for a company that is so hell-bent on um telling stories and supposedly these groundbreaking stories they really are squandering what i think is their most um important or one of their uh key storytelling devices in the money in the bank i mean geez how long has it been now since we've had somebody hold the money in the bank and something of consequence happen uh, you this year you didn't have much happen with the women's one you know out of necessity with becky lynch but mm-hmm. uh you know for the male one i, I can't I mean, I can't think of the last time that something significant ended up coming of the winner of the money in the bank pay-per-view. And I mean, the example that John brought up earlier um, that Nate shared about, um, I already forgot who it was uh, for, but um, Biggie giving some, oh, Big E. Yeah, that's right. Giving Big E and giving him all these new layers of story that you could tell just because he has the briefcase. And um, I'm getting none of that. And it seems like the easiest thing you could use to be able to tell a good story. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of get my thoughts out about that. And um, thank you guys so much for everything you guys do. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Des. I think it's still a very strong concept. Um, it, It just depends on who you give it to. You know, at this point, I wonder if it would be beneficial for the longevity of the gimmick itself to maybe alternate years between men's and women's money in the banks. Yeah, I think I think they're so tied into these shows that it's it's always going to be the 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 twos um, that they're going to do and uh, c- continue forward. Which I, I don't think you can. It, it has to be a negative that there, there's two of them. It just See, seems- they always have them cash in one rather quickly anyway. You know, this was the case when they had Raw and SmackDown championship or, or Money in the Banks. They never wanted to have two circulating at any one time anyway. Um, I say you just like eliminate one of them, you know, to make it more special, but. Yeah. One note here I got, uh, the Inferno match, it was recorded in the afternoon today. Yeah, I expected it would be kind of tough to f- flip that burnt body um, live. Yeah, maybe they had to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, hot off the presses. Hey, All let's, right. go, let's go to Hansi up next. Hansi, what do you think of Money in the Bank? No, you know, listen, man, I, I thought that I wasn't really too excited other than like, two matches, but I thought, like, the whole card delivered, man. I thought uh, Carmella and Sasha kind of killed it. You know what I mean? I'm kind of glad that Sa- – uh, the thing about Sasha's title reigns is that, like, now, because I'm always worried that they're going to always make her lose it, so I'm always on the edge of my seat for her matches. For some, You know, I don't know if that's a good thing in the sense that, like, it's, like, long-term building or it's my lack of faith in WWE, but – um. As a Miz fan, I'm kind of disappointed that Miz didn't win, but I understand that. What's it called? Um, but the KO match in Roman Reigns, that was probably one of like the, the best matches. Like I, I, don't know, I, I, I know it's kind of hyperbolic, but I would say one of my favorite matches of the year. Uh, that match was awesome. And I know you. I know a lot of people didn't like the, the Inferno match, but I got to say that, uh, you know, Inferno matches normally, you know, they aren't the greatest and all that. But, like, the thing is, is, like, with no fans, I liked how they could be able to pull off this visual of, like, it being all around the arena. And it just it just looked look like a cool visual. You know what I mean? Like, it, that that visual of Orton RKOing a Fiend uh, on fire is, like, going to be, like, etched in stone for, like... That should be the opening signature. 
<laughs> I, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But no, I, overall, man, I, 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 enjoy- I never want to see another like in-person Inferno match. I think all Inferno matches should be pre-taped like cinematic style so you could do crazy shit like this. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I was saying too. Yeah, you, they should always be cinematic style because like because like the, the other ones are always like you know what I, mean? I understand why they have to limit it in where like the crowd is always there. But I never really got into it. For, I think the last one I, I I liked was probably MVP and Kane because I, I always assumed that Kane was gonna be the one that gets burnt, but MVP was the one that got burnt in the 2006. I think that was the last one they actually had actually. What, what part of his that, body got Brian, Brian Kane did one like right at the beginning of the Bray character. And it was, uh, listen, the Inferno matches, I don't know if you were ever going to get a playlist of all the Inferno matches. They're pretty brutal. <laughs> but um, yeah, what would they call that? The the Ring of Fire match. Yeah. Before I go, you, do you guys think that like, like this ending, like, do you think because like with the rumor of like, oh, uh, USA wanting more of adult show, do you think that this kind of prompted like this kind of a ma- like this kind of result, like going balls to the wall like that? And I'll leave you guys with that. If that's cool. I think this was just their idea from, I mean, Monday they did a similar angle. So I, I think it was like you had to do, I mean, they've done crazy shit with Bray from the get go like that. This has been the guy drowned earlier this year with Braun. He's, he's done all this crazy shit. Like this is consistent with the character. Like we should have expected, like they couldn't just do a small little, yeah, like, you know, his foot's on fire. Like this, this is kind of what you would expect. Like, I didn't think it was that shocking of an ending that they, they went with. It was kind of par for the course for a Bray Wyatt, big stipulation match. I didn't. I expected, you know, like any other Inferno match, like a one body part. By the way, MVP's uh, body part that was lit on fire was his ass. He had his ass lit on fire in that match. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Hansi. Thanks, Hansi. Let's go to the forum, John. Okay. Let's start off with Kenny. I don't watch Raw or SmackDown regularly. Always a good start. But I thought the show tonight was pretty fun. There, are, there was nothing really bad on the show, and I thought both TLC matches were entertaining. As for the main event, believe it or not, this match was much better than I expected it to be. This may have been the best Fiend match so far. Do you guys think the Fiend is dead now, or will he pop up next week like nothing happened? Yeah, I don't think this was the writing off of the Fiend character. I would venture to guess that this is not the last we've seen of the man. I would say so too, but I hope we don't see him at least for... Listen, the the character is best when we don't see him that often. Like, oh I my would god. Take... What? You know who? What this leads into? What? We go. For, let's go back to the highlight video. We've got Arcade Fire, followed by Alexa on fire. That's <laughs> got to be the follow up here. Randy Orton's coming for Alexa. Look at look at you, John, working your two thousands indie Canadian rock knowledge. This is where I get my uh, my enjoyment out of uh, these things, but. Maybe Alexa's back tomorrow night. That that would be that would make sense if Bray is gone for at least a week. That you have Alexa. They they should actually promote tomorrow, like the like the fiend, some something involving this, like some ceremony with the fiend, where Alexa is doing whatever. Like let's just they'll just go crazy with this. We got a Brian from New York who says new topic for best and worst of shows, best murder of twenty twenty. Oh. AJ Styles buried alive, Rey Mysterio okay. thrown off a building. That was fun. 
Braun Strowman drowning. Was it Braun that drowned, or was it The Fiend? Uh, I can't remember. It might have been The Fiend, actually. Okay. But we know what he's talking about. Well, and the, the fiend, fiend, the fiends uh, had quite the twenty twenty. He was also burnt to a crisp, of course, tonight. So I'm I'm going to predict this would be Way's rankings. What, number one would be tonight. Number two, I think you'd go with. I I would throw Rey Mysterio's eye getting poked out of there as well. I mean, he didn't die, but I uh, you know still a pretty gruesome injury. Die um, or eye, whichever. Okay. I mean, I felt like I felt more pain coming from his eye falling out than him being thrown off a building. So I would go, uh, sure, Fiend being burnt, Rey Mysterio's eye coming out. Uh, I guess Johnny Bravo was only attempted murder. He he made it his way through, so he wouldn't be nominated. I'm surprised there's only four nominees here. I feel like we've we we've done we've had more death this year than than just these four. Um, well, the year's not over yet. He says, get- uh, oh, he says, in all seriousness, considering the circumstances and the empty arenas, it felt like WWE pay-per-views over-exceeded expectations more often than not, and it feels like we're leaving 2020 with two of the stronger world champions they've had in a while after two enjoyable TLC matches. So if nothing else, that's something to build off of. We, we talked about Reigns, and there's so many options on SmackDown. How about with Drew McIntyre? Because I, I do not see the same on Raw where AJ... I mean, this time of the year, you can always squeeze out rematches and you could do something on TV. But as Drew's next focused program, like let's say going into Rumble, for instance, um, that becomes a more interesting one because I, I don't think there's the the long list of heels that are ready on Raw. Yeah, um, I think the Rumble is one where he his opponent doesn't need to have doesn't need to be that like, you know, grand um, because the Rumble itself is enough. So. You know, part of me thinks that the Miz will somehow still be involved in all of this. Oh, I don't know if he does a three-way with AJ again, maybe even a four-way somehow with John Morrison. Doesn't really sound all that attractive, but no. Um, Keith Lee's certainly not there. Um, Sheamus, Sheamus, of course. Sheamus. Yeah, you're right. Sheamus would be the one because Randy's been done to death. I, Sheamus would be the best option, I think. And you have you have like five weeks um, that that. That that would be the direction. That'd be a good rumble match. Yeah, it'll be good. Famous, rumble yeah. transitional program for Drew. Jesse from Montreal. I enjoyed the show apart from the main event. I think WWE pay-per-views are probably more enjoyable if you don't watch the weekly TV. I watched most of the show in French. The Owens Reigns match was interesting. The commentator uh, was bringing up Owens like Vince McMahon calling a Shawn Michaels match in 95, 96. At the match's climax, when Owens is reaching for the title, he said Owens is doing it for Canada, for Quebec. It would be impossible to be a Quebecois wrestling fan and not see Owens as a major star with commentary like that. That's great. I wish I could. I understood French so I can listen to that. Um, I'm sure that would add a whole lot. Like, imagine having Canadian only commentary in English. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just get a bunch of biased commentary. I sure love it. All right, we got a Chris who says, I only had TLC on as background noise, but it seemed like a pretty decent show. Finally sat down in full attention for the Firefly Inferno match. Thought to myself, this is ridiculous. Then I saw an RKO delivered to a flaming man. Maybe murder is exactly what WWE needed because I loved it. Uh, We need to go to Kate from Montreal. I feel like there were some good matches tonight, particularly Roman and Owens. It's not easy to be the... 
It's not easy to be the hardest thing to watch on a show where a guy literally gets set on fire, but their boat was brutal. On the other hand, I'm not left with any sense of excitement of what comes next. For certain, though, The Fiend is dead. I don't mean WWE dead, where someone gets buried alive or electrocuted or drowned and then shows up the next week like nothing happened. I mean that the character is dead. There's no way that's anything more than a joke at this point. It seems like a waste of a cool idea, which is exactly what I thought about the old Bray Wyatt character. Yeah, I mean, is it a joke any more than I, I suppose it, it was before? Like, to me, it's always been a character based completely around theatrics, you know, from the the way it, it, it enters the arena to just... Like the spectacle of the theatrics are what somebody might want to watch for on a pay-per-view, for instance. So I think this just continues to bolster that aspect of the character. You know, next time they promote Bray Wyatt in some sort of crazy unknown match type, you have an expectation level of something really crazy, maybe laughable, but like at the very least, is it entertaining? Um I, do you think do you think Randy Orton is is um, better off for, after this program, same or hurt? Um, I think he's largely the same. Listen, he's gonna like feud again with Edge. They're gonna cut some amazing promos, and Randy Orton will be back right to the Randy Orton that I think we we all really enjoyed. You know, uh, 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 about uh, six months ago, like he's pretty up there at this point. I don't think it really hurts him. Do you? I, I think it's. Like, I don't think it's helped him, but I, I, I also think that you're right, that this is just going to be, you know, he's the sadistic villain um, that lit a man on feud fire. Continu- the feud must continue, too, right? I, I think yeah. so, too. Like, there's nothing on the horizon for, for Randy now that there are, this this has to continue. Like, Randy maybe goes for a few weeks, and then he's haunted by the Fiend, who's going to come back, and God knows what they'll do. At may- maybe the Rumble. Like, who knows? You're right. Like it has to continue with these two. And I wouldn't want to keep Randy. Like that's always the the tricky part is someone attached to the fiend that it's all this out there stuff. Um, Hmm. But I mean, Randy is also kind of at a level where it's, you know, your promos will get you through quite a lot. We got Alex from Portland who says money in the bank this year was won by Oscar and Otis. Oscar tonight became Oscar two belts and it was great. Otis lost money in the bank to Miz, who failed his cash in tonight. WWE's handling of the men's money in the bank this year is a travesty. Oppositely, the booking of the Hurt Business has been fire. Earlier this year, MVP was just supposed to be a one-off at the Royal Rumble, and now he's managing a stable with the U.S. and Tag Team Champions, Baller. Randy Orton, the arsonist, is a fun gimmick. 6 out of 10. Question, with Charlotte being a woman's tag champion, how soon until she's on all three shows again? Charlotte and Asuka seems like too strong of a tag team for anyone else on Raw, but they could get some great competition from NXT. Uh, they're not mixing rosters right now. Like that's I, I don't see, at least for the time being, main roster talent going down to NXT. If Asuka and Charlotte were like going back and forth, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world uh, for those tag titles. And I, I don't really have a big issue with that because they'll probably have some great matches. Um, but yeah, that's... That's always been the uh, the the rule they've had with the tag titles is that they can go back and forth. Although you know, with Baszler and Shayna, they were or Baszler and Jax, they just stayed put on Raw. It, it it's you know I I really it's hard for me to picture like who they would feud against even on SmackDown because you don't really have exactly it's just like the who, Riot Squad. Yeah, who are the who are the tag teams? Period. Much less like who are the heel tag teams? For the well, the big Peyton Royce Lacey Evans program can be. Uh, are they on Raw? They're on Raw. Yes. Oh, okay. 
Charlotte's technically on Raw. Yeah, even though Billy Kay is on SmackDown, she did campaign to be Oscar's partner tonight. I'm sure that was just an oversight. Last one here is from Muggin. Has a few observations of TLC, calling it a mixed bag. Called Drew and AJ a strong opener. The insertion of the Miz midway through heightened the drama, and Drew's selling was superb. The money in the bank needs to be put on ice for a while because it did not help Miz one iota. Sasha and Carmella was a good match with the right outcome. Carmella, despite this derivative persona, put on her best effort to date. It helps being in the same ring as Sasha. The Hurt Business are dripping in gold with Cedric Alexander being the difference maker by stealing the pin. Do we see a potential ousting down the road? Say what you will about Charlotte. Her presence was sorely missed in the women's tag title match. Asuka caps off her stellar 2020 as a double champion. Reigns and Owens was easily the match of the night. Owens went out of his way to make Reigns the biggest heel on the planet. And Hope Spots had me on edge. What the hell was that Inferno match ending? There you have it. A very what what a way to end the, the year for the WWE. Quite the quite the show, quite the spectacle, and a man on fire. All the all the, the key points you want to hit on the, the checkbox of a pay per view. Yeah, of course, certainly. So um thank you everybody for your thoughts, as always. Uh thank you for everybody who tuned in live. We are live uh, for all these pay-per-view post shows for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso patrons. Uh, but we can also announce that we'll be announcing some changes to the, the Post Wrestling Cafe tiers coming up in the new year. So those announcements will be made on the Post Wrestling Christmas show, which is dropping on Christmas Eve in about four four days. Three days, John. Christmas Eve. It's on Thursday. So this week we've got... Rewind to Raw, Monday night. Way and I will be back for whatever the follow-up is to TLC. Tuesday, Rewind Away, the final Rewind Away of 2020. Eric Marcotte is going to join us for the whole show. We're going through UFC 165, an event I covered. Did you cover it too with me? I'm pretty sure I was there. At the yeah. building? Uh, yeah. From Toronto, this was the famous first fight between John Jones and Alexander Gustafsson. Uh, a, a star-making fight for Alexander Gustafsson, even in defeat. So we'll chat about uh, that card. Wednesday, we're going to do a real late night edition of Rewinded Dynamite because it's not going to be starting till after 10 p.m. after the NBA game. It's going to be a bit of a shortened version of Rewinded Dynamite. We're just going to quickly go through the show, but there will be a recap of that. And then the big one is the Christmas show that drops on Thursday. Uh, That one should be Mammoth. And then next weekend, we will drop a Rewind to SmackDown. It's not going to be live on Christmas uh, because we do have families. And we will drop that show sometime on Saturday. So you can look out for that if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And that is the the week ahead. Yeah, but until that time, if you want to interact with us, uh, follow us on all of our social medias at Post Wrestling. And join the Post Wrestling Discord. It's a chat room. It's, It's just alive 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah you can leave a message for anybody there you can uh you know find conversation about anything from wrestling to boxing to mma to gaming tv movies uh it's all there so uh follow it i believe you can go to postwrestling.com slash discord and if i don't have that set up uh yeah you just go to postwrestling.com slash discord you should get an invite and you can join and leave a message uh i'll peruse it from time to time so let us know what you thought about a man being lit on fire. Ask Brandon how he's doing. He always wants to know. Uh, he, he always wants to hear from the people. He's a moderator in the room. <laughs> how did that happen? Okay, that's it, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in live or downloading the show after the fact. Uh, we appreciate all of you. We're back Monday night. Will The Fiend find out?
Good night.